All right. Well, I want to start with Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. And it says this. It says, he who wins souls is wise. How many of you want that kind of wisdom? How many of you want to win souls? All right. I like the way the Knotts translation says. It says, where right living bears its fruit, the tree of life grows up. And the wise man's reward is living souls. It says the reward is living souls. And it's the reward for right living. It says that right living bears it up. How many of you realize that it's not just our words that will win someone over? I don't know. When, when I think of evangelism, there are different Different pictures that I get in my head. How many of you guys think in pictures sometimes? I think in pictures a lot. Not that I'm an artist, but I still think in, in, in pictures. And, and when I think of evangelism or witnessing, a lot of times I still, to this day, get an image of somebody who is, is on the street corner with a bullhorn talking. How many of you kind of get that image when you think of like soul winning and evangelism? I've got a picture of somebody um, back there. Can you throw that one up? The street evangelism picture? Jesus Awareness Day. <laughs> you know, kind of like I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to go out. I'm going to, I'm going to preach to the strangers. But when we look at Scripture, there's nothing wrong with that. But when we look at Scripture, that's not really what Scripture talks to us about. See, it's more than just our words that win people to Christ. It's the way that we live. And it's a misconception that I turn on and off my evangelism. This idea that I'm going to go evangelize now. And starting now until a few minutes from now, I'll be evangelizing. Then I'll go back to being regular me. But the Bible says that it's right living bears fruit, the tree of life, it grows up, and a wise man's reward is living souls. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 and 17 says, Behold, I send you out as sheep among, in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So the Christian is, is not to overpower the enemy through superior force, even though greater is he that is in us than in, he that is in the world. But to win people through the wisdom of God. Now, how many of you have ever handled a snake? Have you ever held one? How many of you ever caught one in the wild? How many of you ever cornered a snake? Okay, I have cornered a snake. When I was a little kid, I loved catching snakes. I can remember in one, one time finding like a nest of baby garter snakes and showing up to, to my mom's door with like five snakes all just, look, mom, look what I found. I was like seven. Can you, can you wave at them? I was like this big. I was like seven years old and I had a handful of snakes. But if you've ever noticed, if you corner snakes, they will back up They'll curl around, they get really careful, and then they just wait for that moment. They are cautious and calculating about their strike. 
And that's what God describes. He says, you need to be cautious and calculating about that. Our, the, the idea, when, when I say evangelism, some of us are like, oh, no, I can't do that. I mean, I can't go to the mall. And we kind of picture that we're just going to run around and just be like, hey, you, you need to know about God. Did you know? But that's not the picture that, that God gives us in Scripture. In fact, if we're foolish, we can turn people off from the gospel. I'm going to give a couple of ways that we turn people off. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3 says, A fool's voice is known by his many words. How many of you have ever been turned off by someone who just talked too much? Now, all right, do this again. Everybody who's been turned off by someone who talked too much, raise your hands. Okay, put it down. How many have been turned off by someone who talked too little? Okay. One-tenth as many hands. One-tenth as many hands. If people don't respect you, it will be hard for them to respect the God that you serve. And we've, most of us have encountered somebody who in the first 30 seconds told us, tried to tell us their entire life story. And, you know, it, it's funny if they're under the age of 10. You know, they come up and they're like, hi, I just got a new bike. Right? And you're like, oh, that's so cute. But, but when a grown person just comes at you and just, just starts to spew information, you're just like, you just step away. The Bible tells us that, that we can get in trouble talking too much. But a good listener, everybody likes a good listener. Everybody likes a good listener. That increases our influence. The scripture says that even a fool appears wise if they keep their mouth shut. When we learn to listen to others, when we allow ourselves to be the, the, uh, a listening ear, we master the art of listening, we increase our influence. A second thing that, that we do that damages our ability to win souls, found in Proverbs 12, verse 16, it says, A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. Losing our temper is, is, is an instant loss of influence. See, our desire is to live our lives in such a way that we have a platform from which to be a light and the gospel. How many of you realize that a lot of the progress we make is invisible? I, I will never forget this. I was, I, there was this group of friends I had in college, and we would go out every, I don't remember what it was, Thursdays or Fridays, but we would always meet at this bagel shop that was down the street from our school. And, and, and there was a group of us, and we'd hung out, and we'd been doing this for, for most of the year. And they're sitting there talking, and I'm just munching on my bagel, and they're talking about something. And someone in particular, and I can't remember to this day who it was, but they were commenting about something negative that somebody had done. And I chimed in 
and just said something to the effect of, you know, yeah, I agree. You know, that was pretty dumb or silly or whatever. And one of my friends turns to me and says, I think that's the first time I've heard you talk negative about anybody. <sighs> you wonder how stupid I felt? I thought, why didn't you tell me, you know, five minutes before that you'd never known? You know, we make progress and we don't know it until we quit making progress. But our, when, when we, nobody gains influence by losing their temper. Have you ever just seen someone cuss a blue streak and thought, man, whew, boy, they are just so wise. <laughs> you know, what, I, I just gained respect for them. You, you might want to get farther from them, but you don't gain respect for someone who's losing their temper. Proverbs 21, 20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A fool doesn't buy things of value. They just impulsively purchase. Now, you say to me, what does, what does finances have to do with winning souls? What does, does wise living have to do with winning souls? I'm glad you asked. Because... God wants to use models. How many of you remember in the Old Testament when God went to Abraham? What did he say? He said, I'm going to raise up a nation through you, and through you the, the world will be blessed. The world will be blessed. You know, he didn't say, I'm going to raise up a nation, and those are the one group of people that I'm going to bless, and that's it. No. He rose, wrote, raised, there's a word, he raised up Israel as an example. And then where did he put them? So, how many of you could find Israel on a map right now? Okay. Do that in your mind. Israel is right above Africa, right on the inside of the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And it's basically the crossroads of the world. Every major empire from Israel time on went through Israel. God put them in a place where their influence, where they would be seen. How many of you grew up in church? How many of you went to Sunday school and had a flannel graph? Do you remember those? The flannel graph. If you don't know what a flannel graph was, it was like a board that they put felt on. And then they had these little cutouts of like people and rocks and trees and water and, and animals, and they would stick to the felt. It wasn't quite like Velcro. It was just felt on felt, and it would just stay there. Or it was like flannel, and they'd put it up there, and they would, they would put that up, and they would tell us the Bible stories. How many of you can picture David and Goliath on the flannel board right now? <laughs> okay, so when we were kids, and we had that story, and he told us that our, our Bible school teacher, he or she, told us the story of David and Goliath. How many of you remember the, the lessons that we learned? Well, we learned from David and Goliath that God can use anybody, no matter how big or small, right? You remember that one? And, and that, that with God's help, you could take on giants. You can do anything. How many of you remember, say, the story of the Israelites? Or, or how about um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
They get in there, and there was like the whole flannel. They had the cut out of the fire, and then there was the guys, and then they put the fire over the top of them. Oh, come on. I'm totally having like this blast from the past in my mind right now. I wish I could just project it on the screen. I totally remember that. And the lessons that we learned, well, that God can protect us and all of that. But what's interesting is those lessons, I believe, are lessons God wanted us to learn. But if we look in those, there was another reason that God did each one of those miracles. If we look in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28... Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had just been thrown into the fiery furnace. The king came. He found them still walking around and unscathed, called them out. And then in verse 29, he sends out a decree. It says, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut to pieces and their houses turned to rubble. For there is no other God who can save in this way. And he sent that message to his entire empire. What Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did was spread to everyone. It was an example of God's power to the, the then known world. I mean, having the emperor send out a decree was, was like being on live television everywhere. That was the best mode of communication, the most universal message system available, spreading the word. Joshua crossed the Jordan. You remember? Anybody remember the flannel graph where they had like the two pieces of the river and then they'd pull it apart and then they'd put the little people and they'd go marching through? And what would we learn about the power that God has and about <clears throat> how he'll help? But what does the scripture say? It says in Joshua chapter 4, verse 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us when we crossed over. That was another flannel graph lesson, if you remember. And he did this. Why did he do that? So that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. All the way back to Old Testament times, God would act in a desire. He, he would choose, he chose the Israelites and he said, I'm going to use you to be an example. I want what you do to show other people what I can do. God was working, he was, he was a missionary. They were missionaries. God wasn't just interested, even in the Old Testament, he wasn't just interested in the Israelites. He was interested in all of the nations. Did you know that David and Goliath was a missionary story? Did you know that crossing the Red Sea was a missionary story? It was missionary story. It was missions. God says, I want you to be an example. I want the whole world to see what you're doing. This, he did this so that the nations of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. David and Goliath, we have the same thing. I'm going to pull that scripture up too. It's in first, or is it second? It's first Samuel chapter 16, verse 47. David is talking to Goliath. We'll go back to 46. He says, I'll strike you down and cut off your head, and today I will give your carcass to the Philistine army and the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel 
the whole world. David and Goliath was a missionary story. Because ever since Old Testament time, God has used examples. He said, I want to work in their lives so that others can see. So today, now Israel ceased to be a nation for thousands of years. Guess what? They're back. But you know what God did during that whole time? He didn't stop being a missionary. He didn't stop missions. But he started using individuals. And he says, I'm going to, to raise you up. And Israel is being raised up to be a major example in the end time. And we're not studying that today. It takes too long. But what does God want for you and I? He wants us to be an example. We want to live a life so that the people around us say, you know what? I want a marriage like that. I would like kids like that. I would like finances like that. I would like happiness like that. They have something different. I want to live like that. What God uses demonstrations. You can win people to Christ when you win them to what Christ is doing in your life. How do we gain influence? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul teaches a principle of identification. He says this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law towards God. As in, in other words, to the criminals, I didn't go be a criminal, don't worry. But under law towards Christ, he said, that I might win those who were without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Jesus followed that same example. When he went into the synagogue, he didn't show up with a ham sandwich. If you're wondering why that would be ironic, the Jews don't eat ham. He recognized, okay, Paul, he says, when I went somewhere and they had a sensitive, they were sensitive to something, I was sensitive to it too. When I, I, I would pay attention to what they need. I would identify with them. That doesn't mean, and he clarifies, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to go get drunk with the folks at the bar so I can help reach the people at the bar. What that means is he, he, he wasn't offensive on purpose. He, he knew, I am an example, and I need to stay that way. Jesus, to win men, became a man. It's learning how people think, the people you're after, and using that to your advantage. Learn to be big enough to be critical of yourself. People want to see people who had defeat overcome and get victory. When we overcome, when we do these things, number two thing that happens is I've got a cartoon I want to show you here, an evangelistic cartoon, before I give you number two. 
Here, if you can't read that very well, it's, it's, it's Charlie Brown, and I think that's Nancy. And she says, I would have made a good evangelist. You know, the kid who sits behind me at school, I convinced him that my religion is better than his religion. And the other boy says, how'd you do that? I hit him with my lunchbox. <laughs> Realize, it's funny because we know that there are people who try it that way, and we also recognize that's not the way. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. It says, Or do you despise the riches and goodness <clears throat> of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It is God's goodness, not a, a lunchbox to the head, that wins people and leads people to repentance. People want to know that they can trust God. They're not a, don't be afraid of a fly swatter God. Sometimes the most damaging thing to, to someone coming to Christ is other Christians. And, and I think about people who, who have very limited knowledge of, of who God is. <clears throat> I will never forget uh, when, when I was in college, I, I went on a trip. I was studying French, and I found a cheap ticket to France, so I went. And I didn't know anybody, and I got there, and I was, I was asking around at different churches and with missionaries beforehand, trying to find some people I could connect with. And half the time I, I spent at a Bible school and working with some people there, and the other half of the time I just kind of went around traveling. And in my just wanderings, I ran into uh, two girls that were from Israel. And we were, we were walking, we were staying at the same hotel, and then we were going to go out to, um, to a certain museum that day. And we start talking, and, and I asked, they said, oh, you're from Israel. I said, oh, great, so are you religious? Like, are you a practicing Hebrew? She said, oh, well, you know, I don't, <clears throat> um, I don't eat bread during, um, you know, one of our festivals, but that's it. And I said, oh, oh, I thought... I thought that you only had to avoid leavened bread. She looks at me. She goes, how do you know anything about my religion? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. She's like, right, so how do you know anything about Judaism? And, and I said, well, you know, did you realize that basically I, I, I study the exact same scriptures that you do and I simply believe that the Messiah already came and, and you're still waiting and she says I had no idea I had no idea there was anything in common she said someone told me Hitler was a Christian so I figured that's all I needed to know and I just thought wow how many people have just walked away because of the poor example many people know just enough about God to hate him but not enough to realize how good he is. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 and 39. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, even Jesus, when he was witnessing, he used the good he was doing. Now, he was doing good, he was healing, but you realize 
Jesus didn't always resort to the supernatural. Remember the woman at the well? The Samaritan woman? Who according to culture, he couldn't even talk to? And the Bible says that he shocked her by just starting a conversation with her. Asking for a drink of water. Treating her like, like an equal. His kindness is what won him the platform from which he won her. And then she went back and got the entire town to come. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector who made his living cheating people. Because the tax collector's income was what they overcharged the people. Nobody liked the tax collector. Jesus saw him said, hey, I'd be happy to have dinner with you. How many realized he was God in the flesh, yet he just used kindness? He just used kindness to open the door. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. Wisdom gives us influence, gives us a position, a place where we can be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. If we want to win people to God, we have to win them to ourselves. We need to identify with people, consider how they think and what they do, look for opportunities to do good. Now, I have a question for you. Imagine if your focus, if your goal was to win one person to God. To be an example in one person's life to, to find a way to be a light, to do good, to show them the goodness of God, to exemplify a life changed by God. If you tried for just to get one person, how long do you think that might take? Two years? Five years? You think in five years, if you were focused on it, you could win one person? All right. How many think you could do it in 20? Raise your hands. 20 years you could win one person. If you were trying. I'm not about to say, well, you're over 20 years old, you're in trouble. No. You're not going to fail this test. Okay? I want to point something out. If we think we can win one person in 20 years, how many of you think one in 10 years could, is doable? Okay? Get your hands up. Come on. It's hard to see. There we go. All right. I'm not going to go any farther than this one in five. Now, we're being conservative, but let's think about that for a second. What if in five years we each won one, we'd have doubled the church? Double. See, winning the lost doesn't have to be about the massive crusades and the dozens and hundreds and thousands of people at once. If all of us just won one, in five years' time, our church would double. 
And then in five more years, we double that. And in five more years, double that. Realize that is God's growth plan. He says, he who wins souls is wise. Don't worry. There's no deadline. You haven't been given homework with a five-year deadline. But guess what? This is the opportunity. This is what God has given us. He says, I want you to... Now, here's the part I'm excited to talk about. Because I wasn't excited about the rest. No, I was, I'm excited about the whole thing. But listen, we don't have to be scared about it. I've got one quick little graphic about... Someone, can you put the one with the cat up there, please? This is how a lot of us feel when we think about, about witnessing. It's, it's like it's this mouse in front of a cat saying, excuse me, but have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? You know, like we get this idea that it's going to be this like very scary moment. Listen, these two verses, if you brought something to write down, write down these two verses, Okay? These are two of my favorite evangelistic verses in the entire Bible. Both of them are Paul instructing people how to pray. And he says in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God will open the door for our message. Raise your hand if you would like to witness to someone. Okay? You don't have to run them down on the street corner. Paul says you can pray for an open door. Pray for an open door. And I think I have told this story here before. But, in fact, I, I, I'll, I'll switch. I'll give a different example. On that same trip I told you about in, in France, I prayed. I said, God, open doors for me to, to preach the gospel. I want opportunities and the first day I arrived, I'm carrying around my backpack. I'm looking for a place to stay. I showed up at, at a hotel, or a hostel actually, which is like a hotel where they give you roommates. It's cheaper. And I showed up, and this other guy from Australia shows up at the same time, and they told us both that they were full. But they said, you know, such and such a direction and such and such a place, you can go, and they still have room. And so this guy decides to walk with me because I spoke more French than he did. And so we're walking across town, and we're just finding, I'm, I'm just coming, well, what you doing? And he's like, well, I'm from Australia, and I've come up here, and, and uh, I just graduated from college, and I'm going to be up here for about six to ten months. If my money can last longer, I'll stay a whole year. I'm like, really? That's interesting. And uh, he's like, so what do you do? And I'm, I'm, I'm studying in Bible school and, and, and doing different things, and it, so quickly he figures out I'm a Christian. And he says to me, so, what do you believe about God? That's an open door. See, I don't have to chase people down. If I pray, it is a biblical, say this with me, say, it is a biblical prayer to ask for an open door. Okay, that takes away like 90% of our reasons for not wanting to witness. Well, I don't want to like just go barging into somebody's house or, or, or walk up to a stranger. No, that's not what God is telling you you have to do. If the Holy Spirit says go talk to a stranger, go talk to a stranger. Do it. 
But God says, pray for open doors. That's what an open door looks like. I had another time, I have to tell this story just because it's so perfect. I was sitting in a garden called the Prayer Garden on the Oral Roberts University campus. So this is a Christian school with a garden dedicated to prayer. Not exactly the place to go evangelizing. I'm on a campus of, of allegedly all Christians. And I'm sitting right there and I prayed, God, open a door for me. I had not gotten up from my bench when this guy walks up to me and he says, hey, he said, you were in line next to me earlier this week. He says, I remember. You talked a lot. <laughs> he says, maybe you know the answer to the question I have. I say, sure, sure, what is it? So I've been walking around campus trying to find somebody to tell me, how do you be get saved? I heard some of the people talking about it in one of the assemblies, and I don't know how to do that. He had, I don't know how he picked the university, but he had just gotten there as a student, didn't know how to become a Christian. He's literally walking around looking for someone to tell him. Now, how many of you would like to talk to somebody like that? You're like, okay, if they're looking for the answer, I'd like to have it. Okay, God knows where those people are. And he's waiting till one of us prays, God, open the door, and he will send them to you. I double-dog dare you to pray that prayer. I double-dog dare you to pray that prayer. But here's the thing. Some of you are like, yeah, but... Yeah, but if I pray that prayer, then I have to say something. <laughs> That's where our next verse comes in. Write this verse down. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Again, Paul is instructing the people what to pray. And he gives us another example of a 100% biblical prayer. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, Words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. We have a right to ask for doors to be opened, and we have a biblical right to pray that words be given. There was one other thing the verse said we had to do. How many of you noticed? It said, when I open my mouth. That's on you. You'll have to open your mouth, but God says the words I'll give you just pray, ask me for those words. Is that too hard? Just, God, open doors and give me words. You realize, I, I, I want to tell you something. It's not the elegance of our words that win people to Christ. That, that guy that I, that I talked to who who was from Australia, I, I told him the simplest answer. I, he's like, what do you believe about God? I'm like, well, I believe God made everything. And that he did it because he wanted to have a relationship with us. And then Adam and Eve chose sin. God gave them the ability to choose because he wanted a meaningful relationship, not a robotic one. And sin separated us from God's holiness. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for that sin, to unseparate 
But if it was automatic, it would be robotic, and it wouldn't be a meaningful relationship. So he's just waiting for us individually to accept that forgiveness, to choose. And then that sin is removed and our relationship's restored, and we are back in relationship with him like he designed us to be. Simplest thing. And he looks at me, and in Spanish they say with square eyes, when someone's like su surprised. Con ojos cuadrados. He looks at me and he says, this morning before I met you, I walked into the cathedral of Notre Dame, which is that the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's the famous, one of the fam more famous landmarks in Paris. And he says, I went in there and there's candles all over. He says, and I lit a candle and I said, God, if you're real, send me a sign. I think you're that sign. All because I prayed, God, open the doors and give me the words. When we pray that prayer, it is so powerful. So powerful. And I'm not saying that it'll all be instantaneous. But it doesn't have to be. Because there's not... Realize, even one soul, every year or couple of years, if we are all doing that, the... The growth of God's word, the spread of the evangelism, would be incredible. Incredible. God says, he who wins souls is wise. I double dog dare you to be wise. To pray that prayer. To decide to be an example recognizing that God desires to be an example through you to all those around you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I just thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it, it tells us you listen to our prayers. I pray that you will open doors for me to speak the gospel. I pray you'll give me words to speak when those doors come. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will remind each person sitting here to make that same request. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.